Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we'll just pick up right where we left off last week at uh, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, as as uh, the songs that we have sung tonight indicate, um, and, and the reading that we did from, from the catechism, uh, no one can keep all of God's laws perfectly. Uh, just like, just like the, the, uh, the last line of that said, but we doth, <laughs> I can't say it, <laughs> daily break them in thoughts and in our actions and in our deeds. Um, we, we, God is so holy and so righteous and, and we are fallen and broken sinners. And yet there, there's a tension here. There's a tension uh, because the Bible also tells us that believers, we who have trusted in Jesus, are forgiven. We who have trusted in Jesus are ones who He will one day present before the Father holy and blameless. The, the Bible tells us that we are now called saints. The reformers, and in fact, I think it was Martin Luther who, who called us uh, simul justus et peccator. That's the Latin term. You don't have to remember that. For simultaneously justified and a sinner. That's the life of a Christian. We are justified in God's sight. He looks at us and He sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus Himself. And yet, at the same time, we are still sinners. Still struggling with this body that we live in. We still are, are, are um, liable to the, the, the curse that was brought about in Genesis 3. Our bodies break down. We get things like cancer. We get things like kidney stones. We get things like pulmonary fibrosis because of the curse that we live under. And we look forward to the day when Jesus raises us up from the dead, holy and blameless, perfect. No longer any pain, no longer any suffering, nothing. And in this present time, we live both justified and sinners. Paul wrestles with this idea several times. He he says we're saved by grace. And then because we're saved by grace, does that mean we just keep on going on sinning however much we want? No. He says perish the thought. May it never be so. He has brought about a real change in us. And because of that change that's taken place in us, our desire and our aim is to press on to be more and more like Him. We'll never reach it in this life. And and we have to keep the cart before the horse. We don't want to put the cart before the horse. I almost said that wrong. I did say that wrong. We have to keep the horse in front of the cart. 
Because the fuel that has the engine of our holiness, the fuel that has the engine of our ability to to press on towards Christ-likeness is the work that God has done in Christ Jesus already on our behalf. We'll never be able to do it just out of sheer willpower. We'll never be able to be holy and blameless just because we tried harder or because we were smarter or anything like that. It can only be based upon the work of Christ Jesus on the cross. The first half of the book of Ephesians is telling us what God has done on our behalf. He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. He has adopted us as His sons. And that's not leaving the ladies out. There's a reason why Paul says he's adopted us as sons and he's speaking to a mixed gender audience. Because who is it that gets the inheritance? It's the sons, right? So both men and women equally, you are adopted as sons. That means you're included in on the inheritance. Amen? He has done all this. He has created out of two peoples, both Jew and Gentile, one new man. He has demolished any racial hostility between Jew and Gentile. And I believe that should, that should spread out to every race under heaven. Because one day's days in heaven, we are going to be worshiping and singing before Him. And there will be a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation all singing together, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The first half of the book tells us what God has done. What God has done and who we are because of what God has done. As I said last week, chapter 4 begins the turning point. Chapter 4 began with, therefore, a prisoner of, uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That could be the headline for the entire rest of the book. Everything else that he says through the rest of the book is all coming back to that heading. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The first half describes that calling. And now he's saying this is how you ought to walk because of what Christ has already done. Last week we talked about how we are to... Strive to maintain unity. Strive to maintain unity. And and that means God has given us a variety of different gifts throughout the body and every one of those gifts are to be used to help build up the body into one whole body. That is the way the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be unified. We're supposed to be unified in doctrine. uh, I mean... What, what some churches do to try to have unity is just minimize doctrine. But here, Paul calls us, says that the teachers teach one another so we may be a mature man, and that's what brings about true unity. We don't minimize it. We don't push controversial doctrines under the rug. We teach it. We teach what the Bible says. Shout it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So tonight, here's where we're dropping in. He talks another, uh, about another way that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. He talks about how we are to, to put off that old man that we used to be and put on the new man. 
That's what we'll be seeing tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught to in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us tonight. You'd open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word. Help me to get out of the way tonight that we can clearly hear your voice. Pray that you give me strength, give me grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, now, I, uh, this I say and testify in the Lord. He's, he's introducing a new section here. And he's telling us, I'm saying this, I'm testifying this in the Lord. This is on the basis of the authority of the Lord Jesus Himself. This is what he's telling us to do. He says that you must no longer walk according to the, uh, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, In the earlier place in um, within Ephesians, remember, not everybody was here for this, but it tells us that that uh, the the races, Jew and Gentile, the wall was obliterated. He brought together Jew and Gentile into one new man. And here he's telling us, don't walk as the Gentiles. Is there a contradiction here? 
I don't believe so. What he's getting at is whenever he says don't walk as the Gentiles, he's not meaning in a racial sense. He's saying don't walk like you used to. Don't walk like unbelievers. Um, Rather than just saying unbelievers, he's using this term because he's used the term er earlier in the book. Back in uh, chapter 2, he said, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. So he's talking about people who were Gentiles themselves. He says, remember you who were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision by what is made by, uh, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. So whenever Paul is telling the people there in the church of Ephesus, he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. He's saying, don't be like the way you used to be. Don't be like those who are still in their sins, who are still in that condition. You've been changed. You've been adopted into a new family. Believers, you've been adopted into a new family and He has changed your nature. He tells us, I'm on the wrong page. (laughs) As they walk in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. You know, he tells us in another place, I can't remember, I didn't mark which place, but here in the book of Ephesians, he says, we have been enlightened because of what Jesus has done. In contrast, those who have not yet believed on Christ, who have not yet repented of their sins, are in a condition where their minds are darkened and they do not understand the things of God. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That's the same language that he uses to talk about these who are now believers. Earlier in the text he says, you remember once you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Once you were cut off from Christ. But now he's saying, you're not that way anymore. You've been reconciled to Jesus. You've been reconciled to God. So, he says, live like it. (laughs) Don't live like those who who are separated from Christ. Live a new life based on what God has already done for you in Jesus. He says, due to their hardness of heart. I want to comment on that for a minute. The Bible tells us, in Romans chapter 1, it tells us that that, uh, we are all born with the knowledge of God. We were all born knowing about God, and yet we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. From our very moment that we start to have a rational understanding of things, from the very moment whenever you know, a small child knows that he's doing something wrong, we suppress that. We tell ourselves, no, I'm okay. I can do this. I want my way. I could, and, and the parents, you know, they try to tell them better. <laughs> no, we, want, we all want our own way. We want our own way. And we suppress the truth, the conviction that we, we should have to tell us we're sinners and we need to turn to Christ. We suppress that. And, and those that call themselves atheists, they know that there's a God. They look at the creation. They look and, and somehow... The truth that they know is real, they suppress it. They suppress it. Because if they admit, yes, there's a God, what does that mean they have to do? 
have to stand before Him for judgment someday. They have to, st- have to account to Him one day. So, before we come to Christ, we're just like that. Just like that before we come to Christ. We, we have uh, hardened, we've become callous, it says in verse 13, or 19. We've become callous, given ourselves up to sensuality. Just doing whatever our appetites call for, whether it's food, whether it's sexuality, whether it's anything, we just give ourselves over to what our desires of our, of our body desire. I've given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Just following after the lusts of our hearts. That is what we all were apart from the renewing, the, the, the new birth that happens when we come to trust in Jesus. But, he contrasts in 20. He describes, we're not to walk the way we used to, we're not to live the, like, like the Gentiles the way we used to, but, he says, that is not the way you learned Christ. You know, following Jesus, He calls us to discipleship. He told those first disciples as, as He, um, the last instructions that He gave them were to go make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. So becoming a Christian, in a sense, is learning. And Paul here says, you have not learned Christ like this. We don't somehow just pray a prayer and receive some kind of a fire insurance and then just go on and continue to live the way we used to live. But no, once we have trusted in Christ, He has changed us and we have learned to follow Him. Verse 21, Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth that is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life. When, when you trust in Jesus, when you look to Him, when you give your life to Him, it's, it's being born again. That's the way the Bible puts it. It's being born again. And, and so oftentimes we... I, I heard it in a song this way. The old man that we were was dragging the lake for that old body. We, you know, whatever a body is missing and you think they may have drowned, you, you drag the lake to try to find this dead body. And so oftentimes, that's what we do. Even as believers, we drag the lake trying to find our old man. That's not what we should do. Paul here tells us, put off the old man. Don't act the way you used to. Instead, he tells us in contrast, he says, Be renewed in a spirit of our minds. How are we renewed? By reading the Scriptures. By meeting with one another. By confessing our sins to one another. And speaking encouragement to one another. All of those ways are the ways in which we are renewed in Christ Jesus. I'll put priority on reading the Bible, but we need a community as well. You know, It's one thing to read your Bible off alone in a closet. 
But it's another when we, we have people who are working in this life together to, to push one another on towards Christ's likeness, encouraging one another, caring for one another's needs. Being renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self. Something putting off the old man and putting on the new self. It's something active. It's something we have to choose to do every day. It's not like when we get saved, automatically the old man is gone and we're just the new man. But no, Paul here is talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have already been saved. And every day we need to remember we put off that old man. We put off the person we used to be and we put on Christ. Later on in the book, he's going to talk about putting on the armor of God, the full armor of God. In the same way, we're putting on Christ. Putting on the new self. He's created a new person. When you've trusted in Christ, you're new. You're completely, not only just washed clean, but he's, you're born again and made into a new creation in Christ Jesus. As if you'd never sinned before. Put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That new nature that He's given us when we have trusted in Christ, it is patterned after the likeness of God Himself in Jesus. We're becoming more and more and more like Jesus as we press on to be more and more like Him. Therefore, He's talking, in the first paragraph here that we've looked at, he's talking about putting off the old, putting on the new. Now he gives us some practical examples of how we do that. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, there's that put away words again, they're having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Before, when those who act like the Gentiles, according to Paul's language here, those who haven't yet trusted in Christ, have a life that is characterized by falsehood. When we trust in Christ, we put off that falsehood and instead we speak the truth with one another. So it has to do with our words, our speech. Are we speaking the truth to one another? When we have been changed... Remember, the fuel comes from the change that's taken place in our lives. When we have really been changed, we can put on that new man and we can speak the truth to one another. And he he bases that in another thing that he has said earlier. He says, for we are members of one body, right? For we are members of one another. In chapters two, at the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's already talked about how he has taken... People who are different, Jew and Gentile, people of different backgrounds, and brought them together into one body, which is the church. He's called us to maintain unity. He keeps talking about how we are a body, we are a family. And so, we ought not to hide things from one another, but we speak the truth to one another because we're one body. If believers who are one body with one another lie to one another, we're lying to others who we're connected to in one body. And it just rips the body apart. So, we are, again, to live 
in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which He's called us. He's called us to be one body. And so one of the implications is we speak the truth to one another. Second, be angry and do not sin. Whew. There, there, that, that can be kind of confusing. We often think, well, if I'm going to be angry, oh, how can I be angry without sinning? We often think, well, if you're angry, well, you must be sinning already. But that's not the case. You know, Jesus was angry. Jesus cast out the, the um, money changers in the temple. You can be angry. That was a good emotion that God gave us for a reason. But we can be angry without sinning. He says, when you're angry, this is what we ought to do. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, I think he's telling us, don't stew on it. (laughs) Don't just let that anger just sit there and fester. And just continue to rot away at our heart. That's what the anger does. Just It causes more and more dissension between us and whoever we're angry at, and it just destroys things. Here he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And some people have taken that very serious, literally, and they, and, and they won't go to bed until they've worked something out. But you know, I've learned in marriage counseling <laughs> that sometimes you need to go take a nap and then come back. <laughs> sometimes you need to take a little bit of a break and then come out whenever it's not such a hot issue anymore. The point, though, is don't let it just sit there and fester and, and destroy you by just continuing to be angry. Instead, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And he follows that up by saying, and give no opportunity for the devil. What does it do whenever we let that sit there and fester in our hearts when we're angry at someone? It gives the devil an opportunity. It opens up our hearts so that we we just allow the devil to just shoot his arrows right at, at us. When we, when we let that anger just continue to burn and fester inside of us, the devil's just got an open shot. So instead, the new man, the new creation that is patterned after the likeness of Jesus Himself, what do we do? We don't let it fester. We may become angry, but we deal with it. We don't hold grudges. We don't hold bitterness. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, who's he talking to? He's talking to a church, which is assuming there are thieves in this church. (laughs) Right? He says, let the thief among you Let the thief no longer steal. Because the thief is no longer uh, patterned according to that old nature that he used to be. Let that go. Don't continue to hold on to that old man the way he used to be. Instead, he says, replace it with something that's productive. Instead of stealing like the way we used to be, he says, let him labor with his hands so that he may have something to give others. And if you used to be a thief, the new man that he's made us to be, the new creation, is to put off that stealing and start giving it away. 
Start giving it away. Be a generous person. Then, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion. That may give grace to those who hear. Often, I don't want to get into a big thing about cussing. Because, <laughs> you know, there are a lot bigger things than that. It's a lot bigger sins. Pride, I think, is, is a bigger sin than cussing. But He does call us. If we're going to follow after Him, let no corrupting talk. And that's more than just cussing. That corrupting talk, that's, that's slander, that's gossip, that's tearing people down with our words. He says, let none of that corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such is good for building up. And let's remind us what we looked at last week. What did He tell us? He's given some to be apostles, some prophets, some pastors, teachers, all for the building up of the body. To, to equip the saints for the work of many ministry for, so that the body will be built up. In the same way, we are to let not that corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but instead we build one another up. Because again, we're members of one body. It all fits together how He's calling us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which He told us about in the earlier chapters. Verse 30, He tells us, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We think back to the earlier chapters. I didn't mark the spot. But He told us that in the earlier chapters, one of those things that He's done in His calling that He's made us in a new creatures, He has sealed us by the Holy Spirit. We are secure. Held by God. But, He warns us here, if we're held by God, if we're sealed by the Spirit, it's still possible that we may grieve Him. And when we neglect to put off that old man, when we neglect to put on the new nature that is, that is patterned after Christ Himself, instead, that grieves the Holy Spirit. That speaks to our motivations. What will motivate us to put off the old man and put on the new? We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve God. He has done all of this for us. Adopted us into His family. Brought us from death into life. All of those things. He sealed us for the day of redemption. All of those things. What motivates us then to put off the old man and put on the new is we don't want to grieve that precious Holy Spirit that has worked in our lives and opened our eyes and caused us to believe in Jesus. Brought us from life into death. From death into life. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Those are all the things that characterize the way we used to be before we knew Jesus. But now, in contrast, He tells us, the last verse, the one that's on our sign out there, be kind to one another. 
Not slandering, not clamoring, not all those, no malice. He says, be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Have compassion for one another. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What's going to happen when God puts together people who are sinners in one church? We're going to probably, from time to time, tick one another off. <laughs> We're probably, from time to time, we're going to do something that's going to offend somebody here or there. But what does He tell us to do? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's talking to believers here. Why is it that believers can forgive? Because we've been forgiven. He tell, Jesus tells the story of, of, that, of that servant who had been forgiven much but refused to forgive. He tells the story of a man who, who had a, a debt that was enormous that he could never pay back. I mean, we're talking maybe $2 million here in today's currency. He, he, he could never pay that back. And yet... He comes, to, he, he comes to his master who he owes this debt to and he says, oh, master, I, I cannot ever pay this back. Would you please have mercy on me? The master forgives his debt. And yet, he remembers when he walks away from the master, he, he says, oh, so-and-so owes me five bucks. Today's currency. So-and-so owes me five bucks. He goes to the man... Give me the five bucks back. I don't have it. So he takes the man and he throws him in a debtor's prison. Well, the first master heard about what had happened. He calls the, the man who had not been forgiving to himself and he, he says, I forgave you two million dollars and yet you threw this person into debtor's prison for five? And he throws the man into prison. He says, you won't come back out until you've paid back every last cent. That's what Jesus said about forgiveness. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. That's the nature. That's the way we have been changed in Jesus. If, if, you can, if you've been forgiven all that, if you've been, we, we owed an infinite debt that we couldn't pay. You know, sometimes we think of our sin and we think, oh, it's not that much. I, I've never killed anybody. I've never embezzled millions of dollars or anything like that. But when we think of our sin, we think of Him in human terms. But the fact is, how do we know how great our sin is? It took the cross. It took the death of the Son of God so that we could be forgiven. God is an infinite in His holiness. And we have sinned against an infinite God. And it took the death of Jesus for us to be forgiven. When you put it in perspective of the cross, we realize how great and how... how enormous our sin is. And yet He's forgiven us. How can we hold anything against anyone else? How can we not forgive others when they wrong us, when we've been forgiven so much in Christ? I'm coming back to where we started. All of that that I've said tonight when it comes to no longer stealing but instead being generous. When it comes to putting away for, 
um, corrupt talk and instead building people up. When it comes to all of these different things, if we try to do them in our own power, all it amounts to is legalism. If we try to do them by, the, by, by just our own willpower, it's just a matter of legalism. If you think you can get right with God just by doing, obeying these commands, you'll never do it. The only way we can do these things if he's, is if He's changed us. If He's brought us from death into life. So tonight, I close with this. Believer, we, 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 we need to live like those He's called us to. But if you are in here tonight and you've never trusted in Jesus, you'll never be good enough on your own. Only Jesus could be. And He opens the way. He makes it a free gift. All you must do is trust in Him. Trust that His death that He died was for you. Trust. Throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. Trust in Him. And He will change you from the inside out and give you the strength and the ability to do what I've been talking about all night. Trust. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.